You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 5, members discuss behavior with Alexis Hennessy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 5. I'm Alexis Hennessy, your host for this season, and today I have joining me two awesome um, local colleagues. I happen to have the pleasure of having worked with both of these fantastic folks in recent years, Um, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but I've got Talia Akri and Anna McNeely with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Why doesn't each of you um, just give a little bit of background, whatever you care to choose uh, to share about yourself. Go ahead and uh, let our listeners know who you are and what you do. I can uh, I can go first. I uh, My name is Talia Ockrey. At the time of airing this, I hope that it will say that I'm an LCSW. Um, I just took my test and finally got my hours in. So um, I am right now currently at recording at CSWA. So it means just that I'm uh, becoming a clinical social worker, but right now I'm a licensed social worker. In schools, I um, went to New York University for my master's in social work, and then I um, started working in New York City with at-risk youth, which is always a, you know, hot button term. I worked in a drama therapy program for a while, and then um, I came back to Oregon, which is my home, and um, I got a job at Northwest Regional ESD over in Beaverton at a behavior school called Cascade Academy, and I worked there for about five years as a behavior specialist, and then um, took a job at Multnomah ESD as a mental health therapist in school, so now I'm working as a mental health therapist supporting um, over at two of the behavior schools from Multnomah ESD. That's my spiel. Thanks for sharing. I have a million questions about drama therapy, but I think that's for a podcast on another day. Same. I also have some questions about that. That sounds awesome. Um, Okay. Well, I am Anna McNeely. I went to UNC Chapel Hill for my master's in social work. Um, And then after I graduated, I decided that I wanted to move across the country. And so I came to Oregon And I got a job with Multnomah ESD as well, working as a behavior interventionist. So I helped um, move and I helped move transition uh, the kids that were at our behavior schools back to district when they were ready. um, And then also went out into the district schools and helped them transition um, or helped keep them there um, if possible. Uh, and then the last two years, though, I've been working out at Corbett, um, which is a gen ed school, um, and their special education is full inclusion in the classrooms. Thanks for sharing. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting both of these wonderful people when we all came on board at MESD at the same time. So I feel you on that cross-country move and and planting yourself uh, somewhere else. Um, welcome and thanks for both being here. <clears throat> let's um, let's dig in. I think that what makes the most sense um, is 
to maybe talk about mental health in schools, right? So we all work within the realm of behavior. Um, and that's kind of our day to day. And I think it's really easy for us to, or I found that it's really easy when I'm working with folks here in my program to kind of see the mental health through line with a kid, right? The kid shows up in front of me, they're having kind of these big behaviors and, and I go, oh, well, hold on. This is relative to this, this or that, that I know about them from a mental health perspective. And often the kiddos that I'm working with um, are lucky enough to have community-based clinicians maybe, or have received mental health therapy um, in schools, maybe school-based practitioners. Um, but that's not true of all of our, our listeners' kiddos, right? All the, the students that are being served by our listeners. So um, I'm wondering if maybe <clears throat> either of you want to speak to what you've noticed around kind of ways that mental health needs show up, up in our learners in classrooms, in school settings. So I, um, I find it interesting when we talk about behavior and mental health, and this happens in the ESD too. This isn't just a, um, this isn't just a um, special education um, idea, but the, I, the thought that they're separate in some ways. And I think um, when we're talking about mental health, we are often talking about behavior. There's whole mm -hmm. sections of mental health, right, that are about behavior, if we think about um, behavioral therapy. So um, I think when we're talking about mental health specifically, right now it's, you know, it's a hot button issue to talk about because we see so much sure. need with all the kids that are coming back from COVID and um, the pandemic and everything that happened and all the kids that are having suicidality and depression. Um, I think something that I've noticed, I'm, I'm a child of a um, public school teacher, and I have seen this since my mom was in school, is just that the need for support for, for educators in terms mm -hmm. of um, classroom management, behavior management, all these, all these issues right. that are coming up has always been necessary. And now I feel like that's spilling into things such as Teachers are seeing self-harming behaviors in classrooms. Teachers are seeing ideation yeah. in classrooms. Teachers are witnessing um, all of the um, the difficult um, things that I, I don't know. If it, it was always there, but I think kids used to... Um, used to maybe feel more like they had to keep it... Um, under wraps a little more and not talk about it as yeah. much. And now it's a wonderful thing that um, it's becoming more talked about in younger generations. I think they just feel more open, but like, I think teachers are seeing it more in their classrooms. And from what I've heard, there's a lot of like, what do we do about this now? And I think that's where we can come in, in the school systems. I, I totally understand that. I think that as mental health has become a less and less taboo talk topic, right? We're talking about it in um, pop culture. We're talking mm -hmm. about it in families. We're talking about it more openly. We're seeing it more. People are not, um, there seems to be this correlation between like the more and more we bring mental health to the forefront, the more and more people are both able to understand or perceive it, but also seemingly the less, um, I think I'm going to say like closeted people are with their mental health needs. Mm -hmm. Like people are not just like controlling, controlling, controlling until they get home to their like safe spot that seems yeah. to be showing up. But I, I'm sure Normal. that there's more to it than that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> that's if how you, it looks from the outside. 
Totally. It becomes an, it's becoming norm, normalized or universal, right? You can see mm-hmm. it everywhere. And I don't know if I, if I wouldn't even assert that with everything that's happened in the world in the last 10 years, that we wouldn't say that it's, um, sorry, my dog just got very excited about something, but that, I mean, um, the topic is a really interesting one. So I totally get your dog's interest. <laughs> I think my family just got home. Um, but, um, I don't know if I wouldn't say that with everything that's happened in the last 10 years, it's become a more um, pervasive issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things like anxiety or depression. I would say too, I feel like now when we see these, like m- this mental health and these behaviors that are happening in classrooms, I feel like previously, if there was anything, any sort of like acting out of any way, it was like you go to the principal's office Mm. um, and maybe you get suspended or whatever. And I feel like now there's so, there's a way bigger push to try to handle things in the classroom or try to make Mm -hmm. your classroom trauma-informed and um, have a common corner and all of that stuff. And it's just these behaviors and like the things behind these behaviors are like you guys are saying, like they're so much more universal. It's not as taboo to talk about. And so it's almost requiring like another skill set in the classrooms mm-hmm. that maybe wasn't required before um, or wasn't expected or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting. I think I've heard you both now say through your answers that what the actuality of being an educator or any sort of staff within a school, right? And for me, the, the word educator covers any adult who interacts with a student in any school building facility, right? So whether that's, you know, an outdoor type school or whether that's in a classroom or whether that's serving lunch or, or you know, passing papers or whatever it is, um, uh, any educator, anyone serving in that role is still receiving almost the same teacher prep program, from years ago. So there maybe has been some progression around lesson development, right? We're talking universal design for learning, right? Or backwards design or whatever it's being called in the current modality, right? I think it all comes back full circle. But the 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 content seems to update in regards to progressive standards of education. But I don't know that we've necessarily progressed our teacher prep programs to prepare people for mental health and behavioral needs of the learners they're going to serve. And I think that um, that seems to be both a disservice to our educators, but also a disservice to our to our learners and families. I totally agree. Yeah, same. Um, so I'm wondering, oh, go ahead. No, no, I just, I also, I was just thinking that like when I was a kid, I remember my parents went through a divorce and I remember going, like being called down, this is, you know, I don't know, 80 something, I'm not even gonna age myself too much, but, um, <laughs> I remember being called down to the counselor's office. And so there was there was mental health support in schools, I think, way back when, right? But I think it was more common to deal with issues of, um, I don't know, like divorce or, you know, death mm-hmm. in the family. These kind of more like, like what we would call normative issues that we would think mm-hmm. of as like societally acceptable. And now there's issues coming up for a lot of our students that um, a lot of our students are talking about how they are non-binary or how they are dealing with issues having to do with um, really intensive uh, mental health needs like depression or 
um, PTSD or these kind of like mm-hmm. heavier um, and more pointed issues. So it's almost like it's not just that they're um, normalizing. It's that they're, they're I don't want to call them bigger because I don't want to like put a um, good, bad binary on them. But it's like they're they're more intensive issues, too, that you're mm-hmm. right, Anna. They, they require a skill set and a level of training that maybe if what I've heard from teachers when they talk to me about it, they just don't want even the um, responsibility of handling yeah. some of these issues, right? You know, part of me wonders, like, with knowledge, yeah. <laughs> sometimes comes some difficulty, right? And so part of me wonders, with the presence and and again, this conversation, poor Anna, I think we're going to like leave you out of this conversation, young millennial. Um, but I feel like the presence of um, it, the internet and like the, the the access to information, right? So if I think about when I was a child, if I wanted information on something, I had to find an encyclopedia, right? Or like the Time Magazine or Newsweek or, you know, go to the library. Um, but the, but the, the, the just immense amount of information that kids and youth and teens have access to these days. Part of me wonders if there's also more self-identification going on with with learners, right? So I I recognize my eating disorder habits at an earlier age or my exercise, Mm -hmm. um, you know, eating disorder, or or I'm addicted to this, like, you know, TikToker who talks about neurodiversity and am I neurodiverse? And I I wonder if this is me, right? So part of it is like with information comes power. And I'm also wondering how maybe that is impacting kind of the mental health and behavioral presentations of our learners. Because if I'm flooded with information on social media and I begin to question myself, maybe I see a characteristic in someone that I I follow on social media um, that I identify with, I might begin to like question or have questions about myself and then who do I go to with those and I you know I don't know that there's an answer for that but I but I think that the more and more people have access to kind of social media and immediate information the more that's like Dr. Google you know like why don't we just call and pick up and talk to the doctor when we google 12 answers first and then call so I don't know if that's impacting our our youth and families too in the in the realm of mental health and behavior I know we're, we're getting into the, like, so I think it's important too. I don't know if this is jumping back now and I, and I would love for you to jump on board with me on this one, but like, I don't know if in Oregon, I count. So I came from New York when I started my career and people in New York, mm-hmm. absolutely there's social workers everywhere. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know um, if a lot of, Oregonians always know what social workers do, but there is a huge social justice bent in our in our work and what we do. And there is resourcing and referrals and case management and all these different areas of what we do. And we do clinical work in therapy and one-on-one counseling, right? But um, so I, I kind of laugh that we're getting, you know, uh, we're talking about social constructs and how this works out in the modern age and all that. But at the same time, it really is a part of what we do. I think I've heard a lot also lately of just in the media even about like, is it right that um, that schools are becoming um, like a platform for so much of this conversation about mm-hmm. like what's going on socially and what's going on in sure. our world. But I, I got to tell you, I've always thought of schools as kind of the hub for our communities, the place where um, all of these different um all of these different 
areas of our society meet. You see family and Mm -hmm. medical and like my first clinic was in my high school. And you know what I mean? Like there's, it's this one area where you can bring together a family's community. So I don't know if it's not the best place to have some of these conversations and, um, you know, look at it as a, a great area for platform to, to talk about some of these bigger social issues, which I think it, it's becoming more and more, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We talked about civics, right? Now we're getting into that a, is a class. Heavy, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to start us on a really crazy subject, right? We can get back to... You no, know. but I, I think it's a fair question, right? Which is schools, and even going back historically as to how schools were developed and established when they were, you know, schoolhouses, single room schoolhouses, right? It was a community. Um, And so, yes, absolutely. I do think that talking about kind of what is a social worker's um, role in a school, and I I agree, being a transplant from the East Coast, um, I was was a little bit shocked when I got here at, at how few social workers we we do have in schools. Um, and I recognize there's difference in licensure around kind of a school social worker versus an LCSW and different states license folks different ways. So obviously around the state of Oregon, we might see social workers in schools in kind of different capacities. But, you know, maybe that's, you know, Anna, when you got into working in schools or um, Talia, when you decided to work in schools, what were you hoping that would look like? What were you really passionate about maybe that role being in a school setting? Um, and is that what you do currently. Anna, you want to go for this and then I'll... Yeah. Um, that's a funny question. Um, I... I try really hard. I try, you know, upbeat up and, and funny questions. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, it's funny because when I started um, my job with MESD and like started the first day, I was like pretty shocked. Like I had no idea what I was getting myself into and it was a lot different than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that is just, I didn't do a good job of listening in the interview or what, I don't know what, where. Good meaning things, to talk to you about that. Yeah. Things yeah. got lost in translation, but. What did you expect? I'm just curious. Oh, and what did you work as your like, um, cause in. Just so the listeners know, in social work school, you do like two years of internship at different places. I'm curious mm-hmm. what your internships were in, Anna. So I actually did the same internship both years, um, and then they paid me my second year. So that was oh, what I did. That's nice. um, but I worked on a behavior team in, okay. in a school district, and but we didn't have any of these alternative schools like you know, like MESD is like alternative yeah. schools. That's what it is. Um, and so although like I had experience, obviously like there's behavior in all schools. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I didn't know. I had not seen that level of behavior um, that the MESD schools um this what am I trying to say? Supported. Support, yeah. That yeah. the MES student school supported. Um, and so I didn't, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I just expected it to be like how my internship was, where I would like go to a bunch of different schools that were gen ed and either had special education um, like resource classrooms or they were full inclusion or whatever. That's kind of what I was had in my head. But one thing that is interesting too, is that 
the social workers in North Carolina and I'm sure other states do a lot of truancy stuff. That's like a huge part Mm -hmm. of their job where, and that like, isn't really a thing in Oregon or it hasn't been at the Mm -hmm. schools I've been at. Um, So that was. Truancy was bigger in New York city too, but we didn't handle it. It wasn't like. But I imagine that a lot of that would go state by state as far as the laws around truancy, right? That that makes sense that there might be a shift depending on how each state chooses to address uh, truancy within their their education laws. Yeah. Um, and so as far as like when you got into being a social worker in schools or just even kind of within that that realm, what were you envisioning? And is that kind of what you're doing now or how does that play out um, now in your day to day? Yeah, I, I actually think it's better now than maybe what I had envisioned. Like um, the way that my job is now, I do counseling for the, the grade school that I'm at. Um, and so, and that is a huge part of social work and it's a part that I didn't really get to do in my internships or I did, I did mm-hmm. like some groups, um, but not really any like one-on-one stuff. And I do a lot of that now, which I really love. Um, and, but then I also get to, you know, maybe not have funds, probably not the right, not the right way to phrase it. Um, but I get to dabble, uh, still in the behavior world as well and like work with teachers, um, and work with the students and their families, um, to, to support all that stuff. Yeah. What about you? Tell you what about you? Um, I, got into social work to be a domestic violence and sexual assault therapist. That's Mm -hmm. what I originally wanted to do. And then I did an internship in a hospital for my first year in a violence treatment program. So I worked with people who had recently, or I mean, really the grant could go any, any um, time period, but generally we'd get people from the emergency room and stuff for um, Mm -hmm. essay and domestic violence. So I love the work, but it was really intense. And that makes me laugh because yeah. thinking about like what's more intense than like the work we do, but it was really intense to be working in that um, area. So um, I think what I decided was that my next year, I was just going to kind of let them place me. And I, my, like I said, my mom was a high school teacher and a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she actually had her master's in special ed, but she went into gen ed a few years after starting teaching. Um so I kind of was like, oh, I'll try out a high school, like just kind of figure out what I want to do, right? <laughs> sure. So they placed me in a high school and like I had no idea what I was getting into, but and this sounds so cheesy, you guys, but I swear to you, I walked through the doors of the high school and it was like I came home. I was like, oh, this is totally what I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing for the rest of my life. It's like right. working with these kids and um and it was an amazing internship. I worked at the International High School in Brooklyn, and I got to work with kids who had mm-hmm. recently come into the country and were dealing with, like, immigration trauma and all these different things. It was an amazing, amazing experience. And um, I did a lot of just, like, like my my um, supervisor uh, had given me, like, maybe five kids on my caseload, and I ended up leaving that year with, like, 30 and I was only there three days a week but I just kept grabbing kids because <laughs> I'd meet them 
like while hanging out yeah. in the counseling office or in the hallways. And I did like the drama club because I, I came from an acting background. And yes, because drama I, therapy. Guys, there's totally <laughs> drama therapy, just like there's um, music <laughs> therapy or anything. We're going to need to do a whole other podcast episode drama on drama therapy. And I swear to you, the um, the organization I worked for, Enact, it was an amazing organization. They had a grant and they went into schools with a bunch of actors mm-hmm. and they would do... Like, um, they would start out doing like a a scene maybe, and then it would be like a job interview. And then the two actors would do the scene and then they would pop out and have the kids come in and reenact it. And so it's like, you're doing almost just salt therapy. Role playing at a really high level. Yeah. And then they would do improv too. And we would put on a show at the end of the year. Um, it was just a really cool program. Um, and it was kind of fun cause I also had an acting background. So I got to do therapy with the kids and I was like their social worker, but then I also got to like hang out with the actors and kind of talk, learn a little mm-hmm. bit about drama therapy. Anyway, um, when I came home, I did, I will say this, I did not expect to be working in a special ed behavior school. That was not like where I saw myself. I saw myself working at more of like an alternative Portland school, um, mm-hmm. you know, something in the ballpark of like a Reynolds Learning Academy or like a, a sure. For, for Ridge, for thinking David Douglas, or so like a public public school um, in district with yeah. you know maybe maybe some some extra mental health or behavioral needs support yeah. students supported there. Yeah, and when I was in New York, okay. when I thought I would stay in New York, every single school in New York has a social worker. That's like there's yeah. no question that you're going to have a social worker in your school, and it's a really great job. I mean, they're paid really well, they're respected. It's a it's a yeah an expectation in a school in New York City that you have a social worker. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.